Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 51. This chat is going to be particularly interesting for you if you're curious where agencies will be headed in the next 10 years. From everything I've researched over the last couple of months, the biggest change coming for agencies in the next decade is Web3. Web3 is the next evolution of the internet and here to enlighten us about what Web3 is and how agencies need to be prepared for it is Jeff Kaufman. Let's go over to Jeff now. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be introducing Jeff Kaufman Jr. to the show. Jeff is the founder of Parachute, an agency that builds and invests in Web3 solutions for both marketers and advertisers. He's also created the first community of marketing and advertising professionals who are passionate about Web3. So Jeff, a very warm welcome to the show. Oh, it's so good to be here. I can't wait to see where the conversation goes. So yeah, let's, let's get things started. Well, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So would you mind by starting off just telling us a bit about you, Jeff, and why you started Jump, which is this community for people passionate about Web3? Yes, absolutely. So for those of you that aren't listening to this or on video and you're just listening to the audio version, behind me, there's a photo and that's me skydiving. So back in the day, I I used to jump out of a lot of airplanes over the course of my skydiving career, simultaneously while I was in the agency world, I made 1,800 skydives, got my start skydiving and marketing at the exact same time, which is 2005. If we all remember MySpace, I, do you still have your MySpace page or is that gone? No. Gone, <laughs> yeah, exactly. gone. Hopefully, hopefully it's all gone. So yeah, I mean, the Web 2, 2005 mobile and social, the beginning of Web 2 was this era of what I feel like this sort of, we were moving into this stage where brands and their customers were just going to have this free flowing conversation and they were going to interact together in this like wonderful way. We're going to remove the intermediaries. We're just going to have this beautiful relationship and agency people were super excited about it. The marketers of the world were super excited about it. And then something happened between 2005 and 2020, which is all of the middlemen that we thought were going to save us and disintermediary sort of this communication relationship that brands have with their customers, these middlemen in the form of Amazon, Google, Facebook, these big tech platforms basically put up these huge walls between brands and customers. And if you didn't play by their rules, then you're toast. And their rules really felt like handcuffs and shackles in a lot of ways. So you know, getting my start in the world of digital strategy and social strategy and agency life in 2005, and then building agency services and working on behalf of clients like Chick-fil-A, Home Depot, Dr. Pepper, Dodge Ram, just you know, your typical big enterprise agency life and experiencing sort of what it's like and seeing the evolution of Facebook and how Facebook changed a lot of rules on us over the years. Really what happened was 
as the landscape changed and sort of not owning your content, not being able to control your, your brand in the way that you want to control it, and just all of that stuff came across Web3 and sort of these concepts of social tokens and NFTs early 2020, which is before anybody in the agency world was really talking about any of this stuff. But when I saw it, the light bulbs went off and it obviously looked like something that was going to solve a lot of these problems that we've been presented as brand marketers when we're dealing with sort of these middlemen. Right. And that's why you set up Jump, which was to get everyone together who also could see that things were going to change, right? Yeah, exactly. So like any good agency person, as I saw this new emerging space of Web3, I put together a trends deck and you know we're all in lockdown because of COVID and we're sitting <laughs> at our homes doing work. I put together this trends presentation and just started getting on the calendar of all the smart people that I knew, principals, creatives, digital strategists, very senior people very junior people, just basically anyone that I had some sort of respect for in terms of the quality of their work. And I just presented to them this concept of NFTs and and social tokens. This was August, September of 2020, last year. And the response that I got from every single person was the exact same thing. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe what I'm looking at, what you're showing me. I don't understand any of the words that you're saying but I have a problem. I have no idea where to start. And so I heard that over and over from close to 20 people. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. And so as I'm planning, how do I get involved in this space? What should I do? Hearing that from people over and over, the light bulb went off. Ah, Obviously, the first place to start, at least for myself and, and the people that I know, is we need to create a community to learn about this stuff. So in the 90s, you had the Internet Advertising Bureau. In the mid-2000s, you had the Mobile Marketing Association or any kind of social media sort of organization. There was nothing like that for Web3 and these terms that no one has ever heard of, which is kind of amazing considering, I think, if you walk into any advertising agency right now and you say, have you heard of an NFT? 99% of people would probably say, yeah, I've heard it. Maybe I don't understand it or I hate it or I love it or whatever. But last year, the answer was dead on zero. And so, yeah, that just kind of seemed like the best, most obvious place to start was this concept of an industry association. But how do we do it in a way that's native to Web3, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't just go out and say, we're going to do an industry association or whatever and not use all of the tools that are native to the space. And so that's why we introduce concepts of NFTs in our community, social tokens. We've minted the Jump social token. We're operating with the DAO tool stack. So if you haven't heard of DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, and this whole set of tools that allow communities that have never met each other that are across different time zones, organize themselves around a token and go on this crazy adventure together and build stuff. So we're trying to operate the community in a way that's native with the goal of, well, we're going to learn along the way and we're going to figure out a lot of stuff. And then we might be able to do it for brands or other projects that we like. 
Well, I have to say being, you know, generously, you let me be part of this community. And I have to say that I've never been in such a thriving environment that, you know, you just can't keep up with all the messages. Everyone is just so engaged. So it's a very exciting place to be right now. And Jeff, as you said, you know, you presented this concept to a lot of people, they didn't get it. And they've only just realized what NFTs are, and it's just become mainstream. But how would you define Web3 for Mm. those who kind of would benefit from having some kind of explanation? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to it. One of the easiest ways or one of the best places to start is the concept of ownership. Web3 equals ownership. And we've never had ownership from a digital standpoint. There's only really one example for the everyday person, unless you're a corporation or something like that. But for the everyday person, there's only been one thing you've been able to own on the internet, and that's domain names. Sure. That is the extent of our digital ownership economy. And when you take a step back and you just kind of really let it sink in, we've been renting and we have not been owners of this digital footprint and this digital life and this digital stuff that we contribute value to. What would Facebook be without you or me or the 2 billion people that are on it? And what Web3 does, what it unlocks is it unlocks ownership for every single person that participates. And so really what we're talking about, what gets me so excited every single day is that we're at the start of the biggest economic boom we've ever seen in the history of humanity because it's all going from zero to a thousand in the digital economy. And it's happening like right now. (laughs) It certainly does feel like that, doesn't it? Because everything's changing so quickly. It just seems like everything's sped up. So Jeff, ultimately, what do you think this means for how we operate currently? Because obviously the listeners are working in agencies. And because of this ownership economy that we're going into, how do you see that brands and agencies are going to be operating. Can you paint the picture for what you see is going to change? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many layers to sort of unpack here, but the idea of brand equity completely changes what brand assets are and mean completely changes. The, The formula to calculate brand equity changes. Your relationship with your customers changes, all that stuff. A really simple way to sort of think about it that kind of hurts my brain, but it helps sort of, I think people move in this direction is that in the old world, you had employee or you had owner of the business, and then you had an employee and then you had a customer. So there's these three kind of personas floating around making a a, a business happen. Over the last 50 years, this crazy idea that we we never had before is like, what if our employees became owners, right? And that's where we got the idea of like stock options and tech. Silicon Valley leaned into this better than any other industry or entrepreneurial segment out there, right? They're just like, let's make our employees co-owners of this thing. And we're going to unlock a new level of participation and creation. And we saw the boom of that. Well, what we're sort of moving into now is this whole customer base over here who's never been owners 
of the thing that they consume are now becoming owners. So the idea that owner, employee, and customer are three different things is old way of thinking about it. New way of thinking about it is they're all the same. And you are both an owner and an employee and a customer all at the same time. And if you want an example of that, we have examples, but it, I'll stop there because that kind of like, that still hurts my head to think about. No, Jeff, what I love about the way you describe things is you make it so simple to understand because I've been going down various rabbit holes, you know, in my research behind this and I cannot, you simplify it. I mean, that's obviously your skill of simplifying. So I get what you're saying. So please carry on and tell us some examples so that it brings it to life. Yep, exactly. So we'll kind of use a, an OG version example, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum. Okay, so let's take Ethereum, for example. You're an owner of Ethereum if you own the asset Ether, right? All you have to do is buy it and you're an owner. You're a customer of Ethereum if you're using Ethereum to do a transaction. So if you bought an NFT, if you've swapped one token for another, or if you're someone like myself where you're using tooling on the back end to build these tokenized communities, but just the simple fact of buying an NFT, right? You have to spend something called gas, which is ether. It's kind of like the native tax to the economy. You have to spend gas. So you're a customer of the network, right? You just spent your customer. But then when you tell your friend about, Ethereum and how great it is and how it's going to change the world, you're a salesman and you're an employee of Ethereum. So all in one day, I can buy Ethereum and be an owner. I can spend Ethereum and I can be a customer. And then I can talk about Ethereum right here as a salesman for Ethereum. And I'm all the same. Okay. Love it. Obviously, <laughs> I mean, I'm following you. This is what I'm loving. I'm following you. Okay. Theorem aside, what about a normal brand? Like what yep. about, I don't know, a company that sells bottles, you know? Yep. Yep. Exactly. How, do, how does that concept translate? Yep. Exactly. So this is the problem for us all to solve. Right now, I would encourage legacy brands to think about ownership and being a customer and being an employee, that merging of all of those three as it relates to fandom for the brand, right? Just take away, you know, if you're a water brand, you've got all the off-chain, you've got your supply chain, you've got your buildings, you've got your infrastructure, you've got all this stuff that's not digital that in terms of bringing a bottle of water to market. But in terms of your fandom that's around your brand and the people that love your brand and like what that kind of community looks like, that is where you can actually see that that merging of those three roles come to life. So someone can buy the water and they're a customer of the brand. They can be a very important member of the community where they're maybe hosting meetups for the brand or they're doing other things and they work for the brand in that sense. Or if they're just active in the community and they're participating with other people in maybe some structured role they're an employee of the brand. And then as you introduce tokens, whether it's a social token or an NFT, and those are tradable and there's a market around it, then they're an owner of the fandom. Got it. 
Okay, brilliant. Okay, I'm following. This is great. So a few questions have come to mind. Do you think that it's inevitable that all companies are going to move in this direction? And if so, how long would that take? I think it's inevitable that all companies that we think of as the big brands of the world or brands that have fandom, that have community, I do think ultimately they all move in this direction in some way. This feels a bit like there are a few examples, right? All is a dangerous word because it's like my answer would be no, not all, but 90 plus percent. Right. 90 plus percent of companies adopted the internet. They adopted cloud-based solutions. They adopted mobile into their customer journeys and their sales and, and how they service their customers and all of that. They adopted social media. Some companies, because of the segments, the industries they're in, they adopted that stuff sooner. Maybe a B2B construction company adopted their social media strategy much later. But guess what? At some point, they figured out Google reviews and Yelp reviews and all of that stuff was super important to a B2B construction services company and they leaned into it. So when we're talking about Web3, categorically speaking, we're talking about big categories of like internet, mobile, social, and any business worth its weight adopted and integrated those things in a very substantial way into their business, everything that's happening in Web3 is the same. So I'm just racing ahead thinking, okay, so where does that leave agencies? Because obviously, you know, we're hugely valuable at the moment for brands and mostly, you know, some are doing brand strategies, some doing PR, some are doing social media. Like how do you think that we are going to have to adapt to cater and support and help our clients navigate this new Web3 world? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I think is exciting is that until I went hard down into the Web3 sort of rabbit hole, there was a bit of this sentiment out there that you know, clients are taking agency stuff in-house. Clients don't want agencies. They want to build their own internal agencies. They don't want to outsource stuff anymore. And they're starting to kind of gobble this stuff up. The good news is that Web3 is so complicated. It's so different. It changes and moves so fast that there's a bit of a, a, a renaissance of the glory days, I think, of agencies being able to help clients and brands navigate this space because it's so new and different and changes so fast. So I think agencies, the best agencies out there are going to focus on this stuff and they're going to help navigate it. But that's looking through one lens, which is agencies helping legacy businesses and brands adopt Web3. There's a whole nother agency conversation that once you get deeper into Web3, it starts to uncover itself, which is what about all the new brands in the world that are created using Web3 fundamentals? So the brands that didn't exist one to two years ago, and these brands are going to become billion dollar brands in the next five years. We already saw it with the D2C space and how quickly direct consumer could scale you know, very, very large companies and brands overnight, we're going to see the same thing happen. And so how does an agency work with a brand 
that has its own token and its own native economy? That's as hard of a question as how do I get my legacy brand, let's call it Coca-Cola, to adopt Web3? So agencies not only have to help clients reinvent their businesses for Web3, but the best agencies will reinvent their own businesses. And if you're doing it right, you're actually working with native Web3 projects. Mm, Wow. Can you give me an example of a Web3 native company that possibly would need the services of an agency and how that would work? Yeah, absolutely. So there's this concept of DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. And what's important about DAOs is it's the first legal structure that's native to the internet. So every other legal structure, LLCs, incorporations, all of that stuff is just like physical, real world. And we've just tried to make it work in this internet, global, real-time economy and, and all of that. And so DAOs are this new thing. It's quite possibly the most important invention since the LLC, which was an incredibly important invention. If you don't know the history of the LLC, we wouldn't have railroads without them, right? LLCs were invented for hundreds of people to come together, pool capital, build one railroad to connect it to another city because it's going to raise the economy of both their cities and to do it in a limited liability way so that the hundreds of people that fund that railroad aren't liable for what happens on that railroad, right? That was an incredibly important invention that governments responded to with this thing called an LLC because of the technology that was pushing it forward. DAOs take that 1,000x. And so what DAOs are doing is they're becoming this global network, native company, for lack of a better word, community, this internet corporation, if you will. Oftentimes they have their own token. Really, it's tough to be a true DAO without your own sort of native token. And so there's this new sort of category called B2D. So we have had B2B forever, right? Business to business. And now we have the emergence of B2D. And I do think back to the original question of where this all started before the history lesson, uh, an exploration (laughs) is I do think there will be B2D and D to B. And D to D. (laughs) I think think we get it all. I think we do. I think it all kind of happens. Uh, But D to D is going to be an absolutely massive category. Okay, so what's an example of this? It was funny that you asked because actually I wanted to ask you because you I know you're involved in a DAO. Uh, Seed Club is a DAO. So you've obviously got experience. So please carry on. Yes. Okay, so here would be one example. So Coinbase, familiar with Coinbase? I okay. use it, yeah. So that's something most people are, are familiar with. It's probably the most well-known way to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum or, or something like that. So Coinbase is a centralized service providing a Web3 sort of service. And so they're kind of like Web 2.5. They're not really a DAO. They're traded on the US stock exchange and they do Web3 services. Uniswap. Have you heard of Uniswap? I haven't. 
Okay, so Uniswap is the decentralized version of Coinbase. So Uniswap is an exchange where you can swap any uh, token that you want, anything you want to trade. Whereas Coinbase is like, uh, we've got these 30 tokens. This is all you can buy. And we create this really safe place for people that don't understand Web3 and, you know, you're not going to get scammed on Coinbase. If you go into the Uniswap world, that's just free flowing, right? You need to know what you're doing yeah, because it's completely decentralized and it's completely autonomous and anyone can use the tools. And that's got a lot of pros, but it's got some cons in terms of if you don't, you know, kind of understand what you're doing. So like maybe a city analogy is Coinbase is a tour guide that holds your hand and walks you to all the safe places within the big city. And then Uniswap is, here's your bicycle, go wherever you want. You might find some cool stuff, but you also might scare yourself a little bit. So when you're working with a company like Uniswap, Uniswap is way bigger than Coinbase. And that's what people don't understand. Wow. We celebrate Coinbase as being a $100 billion company that went public. Uniswap is way bigger than that. And it's going to be way bigger than it long-term. How do you provide services though to Uniswap as this decentralized autonomous organization? There's only 20 full-time employees. Coinbase has thousands. Wow. Right? And so if you want to do something, if you want to work for, if you want to provide some sort of service to Uniswap, you've got to write a proposal. Okay, well, now you have to have a certain number of uni token to even be able to submit a proposal to the committee for everybody that holds the uni token to vote on. And so let's say you want to do a sports sponsorship, make it just mm-hmm. super practical. You think, hey, if we could just, I'm a, I'm a big holder of the uni token. I want to see this organization, this business grow, which I'm a stakeholder in, and I own a piece of it. And I think if we just had a Super Bowl commercial, <laughs> you know, of course, <laughs> right? Everything is solved with a Super Bowl commercial. I think if we had a Super Bowl commercial, we would create a bunch of awareness and that would help, you know, more people understand Uniswap and, and, and get the word out. So I'm going to draft a proposal and I'm going to submit it to the DAO and the community of uni token holders. And it's going to say, this is how we're going to do it. This is our budget. This is who we're thinking about partnering with. This is the reasons that we're going to do it. And then everybody in the community votes on that proposal. And if you get the green light, then boom, you're off to the races and you're creating a Super Bowl spot for a decentralized autonomous organization. So the possibilities for this, and like you said, it's the community ownership, isn't it? I mean, I suppose at the moment, we're so used to companies that work in a kind of waterfall way. You know, they've got the C-suite at the top and and then it's layered down. And so the, the authority is at the top. What you're saying is it's a very flat kind of structure and everyone gets to vote and whatever role they are. It's an extremely flat structure. It's transparency that would scare most people in a way that you could not believe which is one of the reasons why Jump exists is to experiment with all of this stuff in a way that's completely native to Web3 so that you can just kind of see, like you can kind of see what's going on and you can get a real feel for it. But transparency and bottoms up, community is a word that's been thrown around a lot for the past 15 years that's kind of overused in a way that makes most people go, 
okay, not another discussion about community. But when you look at Web3, it's community. And the hard example for why it's community is this. The code for something like Uniswap, which we just described, Ethereum would fall into this bucket. Bitcoin would fall into this bucket as well. The code and the tech, the underlying infrastructure of it is all open source, meaning anybody can take that thing, Ethereum or Uniswap, and they can do this thing called fork it, which is copy it. They can copy it and make a replica of it. And they can say, so all this brilliant work that the founders of Ethereum and Uniswap did, just brilliant creative work, put this thing out into the world and it's open source and then anybody can just copy it and take it. It'd be like putting your patents and your blueprints and your supply chains, all your contacts and how you do everything as a business and just open sourcing it all and just giving it away. There's nothing sort of proprietary in this space. Why does Uniswap continue to exist or Ethereum continue to exist? It's because of the community. The community bands together and they say, this version is the thing. It's the thing that matters. It's the official thing that matters. And if it weren't for the community, all the people that surround it, the thing in quotes wouldn't exist as an idea in our head or as a brand in our head. And so Web3 lives and dies with the community because if you launch a token, let's say a social token for your community, anybody can just launch a new token and use the same name and tell all the people in your community that, hey, this is a new token and you know it's called Jump. And we do the exact same thing as Jump. We have a podcast and we have a newsletter and we have events and we do research and we do all this stuff. And the only thing that keeps Jump kind of going is the community that's around that token and around Jump says, no, this is the official version and this is what we like and we're going to stick here and stay here. Wow. Okay. So tell me about Seed Club because that is a DAO and you're part of it. Could you talk to me about what that is and how it operates? Yeah, absolutely. Are you familiar with Y Combinator? No, 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 it's a, it's okay. It's a, it's a startup community, but you probably are familiar with some of the brands that come out of Y Combinator. So Airbnb, Dropbox, Reddit, whole host of other startups kind of came from Y Combinator. So think of it as this legacy incubator startup machine. Seed Club is the incubator and accelerator and startup machine for social token communities. So Seed Club wants to be the Y Combinator of Web3 for tokenized startups and tokenized communities. And what's an important distinction is that Seed Club is operating in a way that's completely native, kind of what we talked about earlier is sort of jump strategy, which is to run your organization and your mission in a way that's native to Web3. And so last year, I got in contact with the Seed Club crew through Twitter, just being present on Twitter, interacting with people on Twitter, trying to be helpful and and sort of nice within the Twitter sphere. And then over time, built a, a relationship with a few of the individuals within that community, Jess Loss being the founder calls himself the instigator of Seed Club. And earlier this year in February, 2021, 
they were taking applications for their second cohort. So very new incubator. And I submitted the idea for Jump. The DAO itself, the members of Seed Club reviewed all of the sort of applicants. And fortunately, Jump was accepted into that second cohort. So Jump comes from uh, a DAO. Jump was born out of a native Web3 community. And what's cool about sort of this linkage between Jump and Seed Club is that cohort members like Jump, once you graduate and you just get a brain dump of uh, it's sort of like a boot camp of how to build uh, a tokenized community and meet with all these experts and ask questions and, and work on frameworks and get feedback from a peer group and, and people who have done amazing things in the space. Once you graduate, you then vote, you become a DAO member of C Club and you then vote on the next cohort. So previous cohorts select the next cohort. So in a way, this sort of machine, ideally, and, and it's already happening because we just finished our third cohort. And so members like myself of the second cohort voted on applicants for the third. And some of us even helped with the third cohort as well. Myself, I helped run a few learning sessions and learning huddles and brainstorm and help answer questions and kind of let this cohort lean on some of the experiences that I had. And yeah, uh, and, and so now cohort three has graduated. We're all alumni. We've essentially, now we have this peer group of people who are creating and launching and running tokenized Web3 communities. And I believe December or January, we'll start to take applications for our fourth cohort. And we will vote in our next group of 10 to 15 projects, which will essentially be our next group of peers. When you explain it like this, it kind of makes total sense. But it also makes me think about how people must have to behave in a certain way, because you've got to be accountable. You have to show up. You have to contribute. And you're creating your own culture as well, aren't you? Because mm -hmm. there's transparency in how you're operating. So yeah. I presume that if there's one rotten apple that's not following, you know, what it was set up to do or being a bit, you know, against everyone else, I suppose the power of the community, the power of the crowd would make sure that that didn't continue. So mm -hmm. it seems quite an honest way of actually operating. It, it is a very honest way uh, of operating. And, and one of the ways that helps that is it's all transparent because it's all on chain, meaning all the compensation is on chain. So if you're the, for lack of a better term, CEO or lead kind of person of a community, how much you get paid is there for everybody to see. Because the transactions are all there for the public to see because it's all on blockchain. It all happens on blockchain. Wow. And wow. while that feels scary because we haven't operated in a world like that. And we only know how, you know, bill rates are not transparent in, a, <laughs> in, in so many ways for better, or for worse. <laughs> what transparency does is it gives us a layer of trust that we couldn't have otherwise. And one of the things that is near and dear to my heart is doing things that are very adventurous. 
such as jumping out of planes. And one of the things that is important when you're doing things that have high stakes, that are adventurous, that are unknown, that are a little scary, is that if you have two bits of culture within a a group of people, whether it's 10,000 people or just three people or two people, if you have generosity and you have transparency, those are the foundations for doing high risk, dangerous things that seem scary, right? Because if you have generosity and you have transparency, you get trust. And when you're doing risky, dangerous things where the outcomes are unknown and we don't have all the answers, you got to have trust. I love that because actually what you're describing is this kind of evolution and it's a moving feast like you said before it's changing and change is scary isn't it Mm -hmm. sometimes we like to kind of hold on to what we know what we're familiar with and I'm sure as actually people are listening to you thinking oh my gosh you know it's like another language I'm going to have to really gem up on this I'm going to have to get involved in some way so we're going to talk about jump in a minute and how people can get involved but before I do I mean we've mentioned tokens quite a lot And I know, according to what you read, it feels like tokens and NFTs are going to be the future, the way we do business. So can you talk to me about, I mean, what you've learned about NFTs and how you see them helping us in the future and how it's working? Absolutely. So one of the hardest things about new technology is it's so new, doesn't look like anything that we've seen in the past. And we try to make these comparisons and we kind of talk about all this stuff, but until you you actually experience a new technological breakthrough that's as big as Web3 and tokens, it's hard to put yourself in that situation where you're like, I don't have the words to explain the new thing, right? Like over the course of humanity, a lot of the reasons why we invent new words is because we invent new things and we come across new concepts that the old language couldn't describe. And right now we're in this awkward phase where we don't have the language quite yet to describe the new thing that we've created and and that we've invented. But to kind of give some analogies what is a website and what can a website do? Well, in the very early days, we would just put a PDF on a website. And we're like, that's a website, that's a .com. You just take the PDF and you just put it on the thing. And then over time, as apps kind of evolved and these different tools and APIs got invented where data could just kind of flow everywhere, what a website could do would be like, well, what do you want it to do? Mm -hmm. It can do anything. And a word that helps us understand that as a word, and it gets used a lot in Web3, and it's called a primitive, meaning it's a, it's a new foundational element that you can just kind of invent on top of. And so when we think of NFTs and we think of, of social tokens, these are two different types of tokens, NFTs and social tokens, fungible and non-fungible tokens. We kind of think back to, well, could you even imagine all the ways that a website could be used? No, absolutely not. So I think that NFTs and social tokens will be a part of everybody's digital experience. 
so much so that we won't even know we're interacting with an NFT or a social token. That will be the point at which you know, we're just doing digital things, we're interacting with our friends and our family, we're conducting commerce, and the things that we're pushing buttons and moving around and touching and feeling across our, our sort of digital footprint, they will be fungible and non-fungible tokens, social tokens and, and NFTs. It will literally be everything. Do you think that, because some people have, have been mocking NFTs because the first use cases have been with sales of digital art, for example. That's the first thing that became really famous and someone sold a piece of art for millions and it was like, what? You know, you're not actually going to feel it. It's just going to be copy this JPEG and I can see it too. And so there was a little bit of that, wasn't there? But then you see that brands like Coke have actually dipped their toe in the water with NFTs and had that online auction and they used Decentraland and they auctioned off these Coke branded memorabilia. So it's something that we can't ignore, but we're seeing the early use cases. But as you say, the future is going to be extending to all sorts of transactions that we have online. Do you agree? Uh, absolutely. A good sort of way to think about new technology like this is the most innovative stuff looks like a toy at first. The first personal computers, IBM ignored them, didn't think it was a market, didn't want to get into the game, but Apple and Microsoft, obviously, we know the story. They look like toys. Like Steve Jobs and, and Apple sold a hobbyist kit that was super expensive, that only the biggest computer sort of geeks in the world wanted to have this like super expensive thing. That's one of the cues of, is this incredibly innovative? Does this check the box of some of those big moments in history? Does it look and feel like a toy at first? Can I just write it off as looking and feeling like a toy? And if that answers yes, it actually might be something worth paying attention to. I mean, it looks like creators, musicians, artists are the ones winning in this space so far, really. Because yes. for a long time, they've been, you know, all of a sudden they were selling their music and then it was downloaded for free and they had to go and find other ways to make money. It's always the poor artist, isn't it? But suddenly the term things have changed and it feels like quite a momentous moment for the people with the real creative talent, which feels quite good, actually. Yeah. I, and that, that's what gets me excited for the, the marketing and the brand side of thing. And so when we look at, as you just described, the artists, the musicians, the creatives of the world are the ones sort of unlocking this moment for us and, and sort of NFTs and digital art and all of this. Brands are enterprise versions of creators. Mm right? And agencies are enterprise versions of artists. And for a long time, because of intermediaries like NBC and ABC and Fox for 20, 30 years, and then more recently, Google and Facebook and Amazon, these intermediaries extract value from individual creators as well as the enterprise creators. And then they force them to play by certain rules that aren't as good for the creators themselves. And so hopefully where we're headed is this ability for brands and individual artists and creators, everybody from the solo sort of person to the big 
you know, multi-billion dollar brand entity gets to create freely, own that creation, sell it directly to the end person that appreciates it most without having to deal with the intermediaries that we've had previously. That seems a lot fairer. I mean, and how long do you think that's going to take to happen? So for example, Take an example of a a small e-commerce business that relies on Google advertising, that relies on, you know, their SEO being optimized so that they rise to the top in search, et cetera. And their whole business model depends on Google, depends on this organization. How quickly do you think that things could change where, for example, like you said, I'm going to build my community, my fan base, and then I'm going to cut out the middleman and I'm going to have my direct customers and we're going to be able to do business without them taking a huge chunk of change. So how quickly does it happen at scale or how soon do we have an example? Because it's already happening. Okay. The difference though, is that it's happening with projects and new brands, the brands that are created this year and last year and and the brands that will be created next year. It's the startups that are using the Web3 fundamentals to actually create their brand. So Board Ape Yacht Club, have you come across yes. them? Yes. I haven't got one, unfortunately. You got one. Yeah, no. Oh, I have a Board Ape Mutant, which Ooh. is... which Is, a, is that a, a spin-off? It's, a, it's, a sp- it's from the original group that created Board Apes, but they actually rewarded all Board Ape holders with... Uh, a mutant version of their board ape, right? Wow. Some of those board ape holders decided to keep their mutant version and be like, oh, I've got a collection. I've got my original board ape and now I've got the mutant version. Other individuals decided to sell off their mutant. And so I was able to buy one, one from oh, someone wow. who sold that off. But this is an example of a community of a brand. Some people say it's like, they're kind of competing with Supreme. So one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest drop culture brands out there. I had a buddy the other day, he's hopping on an airplane. He's wearing his board eight sweatshirt. He's walking down the airplane aisle. He sees someone else wearing a board eight sweatshirt and they're immediately like, Oh, Hey, what's up? We've never met, but like, you know, you're, you're part in the, of club. the club. Yeah. You're in the club. And so these are physical products that, only you have to hold the board eight NFT in order to buy the the merch, right? And then some of that merch is being sold, you know, aftermarket on eBay for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, right? And so now you we already see it. There's no venture capital within board eight. Their treasury is hundreds of millions of dollars. They launched in May or June. So you have this startup brand that exists that came out of nowhere, that has this thriving community that owns these digital assets that represent that community. And so now the founders of this community and these 10,000 board apes, now their goal and their strategy is to actually provide value to the people that hold those NFTs. And if you provide value to people that hold those NFTs, those NFTs become more valuable. So if you have exclusive rights to content created by the community, if you have exclusive access to merch drops, you can envision a world 
where you could be a reseller of the next board ape, like, you know, fall collection of hats and jackets and shirts and sort of all this stuff, both physically and from a metaverse perspective for all of the avatars, right, that are out there. And if you generate any income from that, does it automatically go back to the community? Because I read, I don't know if, whether I got this right, but they've created a band, a musical band based on four of the board apes. So that music is going to play somewhere. People are going to possibly pay via NFTs to attend a, the event. And how does that work financially? So there's two models here. This is business being created by the community itself. And then there's business or re- let's just say revenue streams. There's revenue streams created by the business themselves. And then there's revenue streams created by sort of the, the core founding team organization that is stewarding this brand, right? They're, they're not, they don't control it because this group of board apes over here decided to create a musical group and they're going to start writing songs and performing events and selling tickets to their events, right? The core team that founded this whole community had no say over that. They just went and did it. But here's what happens. Let's say they're successful at what they do. This, This group over here in this new musical act that they've created, they're going to create, if they're the next big thing and they have a hit song, they just created value for everybody else that holds a board aid. They created value for the core sort of founding sort of stewards of this community. And so everybody's actually incentivized to celebrate. This is where you get positive feedback and positive loops versus the Web2 world that we live in now, which is if it bleeds, it leads. It's super negative. There's basically negative viral feedback loops in Web2 at large. What we're describing here is positive viral feedback loops. So someone within the community rises up, does something amazing that the rest of the community loves. Guess what? This little sort of improv group over here with their new song has 10,000 allies to help spread the word who are economically incentivized to spread the word because it will increase the value of the asset that they hold. So they don't necessarily generate income off of it, but their asset itself increases in value. There are other ways to think about income elements, which we we don't have to dive (laughs) into that, but there's a lot of positive economic feedback loops in community collaboration and creation in this model. Got it. And it does feel very positive, doesn't it? And like you said at the beginning, Jeff, this concept of owning brand equity and the brand can't change or or brand guidelines. I mean, how many agencies have produced brand guidelines documents? I mean, that's going to be a relic, isn't it? I mean, if we move in this direction. Yeah. So the brand guideline documents, they basically go on chain. So when you create the NFT and the art itself and all the components of what makes up the brand, you're basically putting your brand guidelines that used to live in a PowerPoint or a document or, you know, a notebook, if we're talking about 40 years ago, right? Those brand guidelines go from digital copies, file copies to on-chain assets that people can own or do stuff with. And so you can actually create some really good 
foundational brand guidelines by putting all of this creative and artwork and, and whatever kind of, you can put voice on chain. So you could create the brand voice that exists and have kind of derivatives of, of that from a true audio standpoint. And so, yeah, the future of brand guidelines is to actually put it on chain and then let the community create freely around that. And that's scary at first, but it's inevitable and the biggest brands are going to lean into that. I think from everything you've said so far, I mean, thank you, first of all, for explaining it so well and for really kind of explaining it in such a clear way that it's easy to understand. You know, so like you said, it's a completely new language. It's words that we don't use day to day. So I'm respectful of your time. I've just I could go on all day, but I just want to be respectful of your time, Jeff. So, I mean, if there's an agency owner listening to this and thinking, right, how do I keep up to date? Because clearly things are moving fast. I want to be able to be in a position where I'm keeping up to date with what's changing. What would you advise them to do? The best way to learn this space is to get hands-on. So you've got to find a way to get hands-on in some of these communities. So, and my analogy there is if we're in the nineties and we're having the same conversation about the internet, the advice would be, you gotta go create a webpage. You gotta have a newsletter. You gotta do a blog. You gotta play around with social. You just gotta, you, you just have to do it. You're not gonna learn about the internet by watching CNBC on your TV screen. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to get, you have to get hands-on. And so the best way to get hands-on is to get hands-on in, in safe places, meaning you don't have to go out and start pitching your clients on all this stuff. There's gonna be plenty of opportunity for that. You're not going to miss the boat. You just need to get good at, at this stuff and you need to do it in a hands-on sort of way. So two ways to go about it. One, identify any kind of passion that you have, whether it's film or gaming or just kind of lean in or sports. There's a DAO, a tokenized community. It's called Krauss House. Their goal is to buy an NBA team, right? So if you're a fan of sports, or you're more in particular an NBA fan and you want to learn about Web3, you go join Krause House and be as active as you can possibly be and you'll learn about Web3. So just pick a passion and, and, and go down that path. Obviously, the agency people of the world and brand marketers of the world, Jump was created as a space to come in, learn, be a part of a community. And by being a part of a community, you start to learn sort of this uh, new way. So that's the second way. Amazing. And is it open to anyone working in an agency? Because all of my clients work in an agency, either in a, an account management capacity or, you know, the, the owner of the business, or can anyone join from any area of the business? They don't necessarily have to be, you know, someone who's got technical knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Right now, Jump is open to anybody in the agency and marketing world that wants to learn. Down the line, as the community becomes an on-chain community and the community holds Jump tokens, the community will ultimately decide the future of Jump, right? And this is where it's bottoms up, community-driven. And so could there be an application process for Jump one day? If the community creates a proposal and votes yes, 
that could happen. But at its current state, really anybody who wants to join the community with the advertising and agency background is more than welcome to join. Right now, we have about 500 members that span just about every single continent, you know, except for maybe, you know, the Arctics, if you will, in the South Pole <laughs> and, and whatnot. I'm not, I don't think we've, we've covered those continents yet. It won't be long, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> and how do you actually, I mean, obviously I, I'll include the link to join the community. Are you happy for me to put the, the link to join? Or is there a special place that you would like people to, to go to? Yep. Right now it's joinjump.community. And at that URL, there's a very easy sign-up form. We send out invites very manually. This is not automated. You don't get a bot response. You actually get an email from me. And about twice a week, I'll send out a welcome email. Usually that welcome email goes out to about 25 to 50 people. And then you're invited into the, the Jump Discord, which is just a crazy set of channels of people interacting and talking about all things Web3 and trying to build a community-driven organization like what we've talked about today. It really is fantastic, Jeff. And I want to say a huge thank you to you, first of all, for making it really clear to understand. And I think you are best placed to be that person to drive this community because you just make everyone so welcome. Thank you for making me welcome. And I'm sure anyone that joins, I'm singing from the rooftops about joining the community. So hopefully we'll bump those numbers up to even more past 500 soon. So Jeff, thank you so, so much for joining me. And if anyone is interested in kind of working with you maybe, or you know, you've got your agency parachute and you're very at the forefront of what's changing. Perhaps there's a marketing director listening to this. You know, is there a way that they can contact you to have a discussion about how you can help them? Yeah, absolutely. Whenever members join the community and we send out that welcome email and then within our, our Discord channel, I actually provide a link to my calendar. So you're free to book some time and we can have a conversation and, and jam on, on whatever ideas you have. You know, I will say at this point, Parachute exists, but Parachute has one job right now, which is to help a lot of people become jumpers and jump into the world uh, of Web3. So there's one project that Parachute works on and that is Jump for the time being. Perfect. Okay. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much again, Jeff. I really, really appreciate it. This has been fantastic. Absolutely. It was, it was a pleasure being here. What a, what a vibrant conversation. Yeah. All right. Lovely. Thank you so much. All right. Take just... care. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jeff. If Web3 is an area you want to keep your eye on, then join the Jump community and hundreds of other agency people and marketers who also want to stay ahead of what's changing. There's no such thing as a silly question in the community either. I've asked a few. And we're all learning together as Web3 unfolds. And talking of learning, if you're an agency account manager and you want to invest in your career and upgrade your account management skills, my next Account Accelerator program starts on the 27th of January, 2022. You'll work with me for nine weeks and end up with the skills and a repeatable client-centric approach to adding more value to your existing client's business and growing your accounts. If this sounds interesting, then drop me a line at jenny at accountmanagementskills.com and we can see if it's a good fit for you. I'll see you on the next one.